Welcome to First Formation, spiritual exercise for Christian soldiers looking to get up and pray. Join Pew Pew HQ every weekday morning to hear the good news through grunts and with grunts in the unity of the Holy Spirit as one church forever and ever. Fall in. Psalm 7 O Lord my God, in you I take refuge. Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me, or like a lion they will tear me apart. They'll drag me away with no one to rescue me. O Lord my God, I have done this, if there is wrong in my hands. If I have repaid my ally with harm or plundered my foe without cause, then let the enemy pursue and overtake me, trample my life to the ground and lay my soul in the dust. Rise up, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. Awake, O my God, you have appointed a judgment. Let the assembly of the peoples be gathered around you, and over it take your seat on high. The Lord judges the peoples. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to the integrity that is in me. O let the evil of the wicked come to an end, but establish the righteous. You who test the hearts and minds, O righteous God. God is my shield, who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge, and God who has indignation every day. If one does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and strung his bow. He has prepared his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. See how they conceal evil, and are pregnant with mischief, and bring forth lies. They make a pit, digging it out, and fall into the hole that they have made. Their mischief returns upon their own heads, and on their own heads their violence descends. I will give to the Lord the thanks due to his righteousness, and sing praise to the name of the Lord, the Most High. Esther, chapter 8, verses 3 through 17. Then Esther spoke again to the king. She fell at his feet, weeping and pleading with him to avert the evil design of Haman the Agagite, and the plot that he had devised against the Jews. The king held out the golden scepter to Esther, and Esther rose and stood before the king. She said, If it pleases the king, and if I have won his favor, and if the thing seems right before the king, and I have his approval, let an order be written to revoke the letters devised by Haman, the son of Hamadatha the Agagite, which he wrote giving orders to destroy the Jews who are in all the provinces of the king. For how can I bear to see the calamity that is coming to my people? Or how can I bear to see the destruction of my kindred? Then King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther and to the Jew Mordecai, See, I have given Esther the house of Haman, and they have hanged him on the gallows, because he plotted to lay hands on the Jews. You may write as you please with regard to the Jews, in the name of the king, and seal it with the king's ring. For an edict written in the name of the king and sealed with the king's ring cannot be revoked. The king's secretaries were summoned at that time, in the third month, which is the month of Sivan, on the twenty-third day, and the edict was written according to all that Mordecai commanded to the Jews and to the satraps and the governors and the officials of the provinces from India to Ethiopia, 127 provinces from to every province in its own script and every people in its own language, and also to the Jews in their script and their language. He wrote letters in the name of King Ahasuerus, sealed them with the king's ring, and sent them by mounted couriers, couriers riding on fast steeds bred from the royal herd. By these letters, the king allowed the Jews who were in every city to assemble and defend their lives, to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate any armed force of any people or province that might attack them, with their children and women, and to plunder their goods. On a single day, throughout all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, 
on the thirteenth day of the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar. A copy of the writ was to be issued as a decree in every province and published to all peoples, and the Jews were to be ready on that day to take revenge on their enemies. So the couriers, mounted on their swift royal steeds, hurried out, urged by the king's command. The decree was issued in the citadel of Susa. Then Mordecai went out from the presence of the king, wearing royal robes of blue and white, with a great golden crown and a mantle of fine linen and purple, while the city of Susa shouted and rejoiced. For the Jews there was light and gladness, joy and honor. In every province and in every city, wherever the king's command and his edict came, there was gladness and joy among the Jews, a festival and a holiday. Furthermore, many of the peoples of the country professed to be Jews because the fear of the Jews had fallen upon them. Revelation chapter 19, verses 1 through 9. After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power to our God, for his judgments are true and just. He has judged the great whore who corrupted the earth with her fornication, and he has avenged her on the blood avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more they said, Hallelujah! The smoke goes up from her forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who was seated on the throne, saying, Amen! Hallelujah! And from the throne came a voice, saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, and all you who fear him, small and great. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the sound of many waters, and like the sound of mighty thunder peals, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. To her it has been granted to be clothed with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are true words of God. Good morning and welcome to First Formation. This is Brother Logan Isaac broadcasting from Lebanon, I'm sorry, Albany, Albany, Oregon. This is another one of my kind of getting back into the rhythm podcast for the weekly readings. This is actually um, for the morning of one of the last or days in ordinary time before we enter Advent. Uh, this, well, actually technically Wednesday. Um, Wednesday is when the new liturgical week begins. It peaks on Sunday and then uh, kind of uh, almost like a wave kind of goes back down on uh, Monday, Tuesday, and then finally Wednesday. Uh, so it actually starts on Thursday. And the readings for this day are from Psalm 7, Esther 8, and Revelation 19. I rarely comment on the Psalms. There's some good stuff there, but one of the things that I think is important to dwell upon uh, today is Esther, the part of the reading from Esther, where there has been a, um, there was a plot by Haman to kill all the Jews in uh, the the kingdom of, um, uh, good Lord, I cannot uh, King Ahasuerus, um, and I, I bring it up because in in kind of in conversation around violence, the church often likes to the church in the West likes to split itself off into two very different uh, camps. On the one hand, we have the Christian realist camp, um, 
political realism. Uh, if you think of Reinhold Niebuhr, Nigel Bigger, um, the Just War folks, some of who, whom, like Bigger, take realism to legitimate uh, imperialism, colonialism, etc. Uh, but Niebuhr uh, was much more muted. The birth of the Just War tradition in the modern era with Niebuhr and Paul Ramsey uh, was much more moderating. Uh, they were facing this uh, social gospel movement that they believed got rid of Christ, that the church could inaugurate the final coming with their own efforts. And he was like, no, 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 you can't do that. Uh, people still have sin. We need God, we need the Holy Spirit, we need Jesus. Um, and that he's writing in the 20s, before and during um, World War II. And fast forward to people like Nigel Bigger, they've taken uh, those same frameworks and said, well, look, um, just war is not, uh, is not merely a uh, checklist that we've got to kind of tick the boxes of. Hell, it even justifies our actions, that when we do... When we avenge evil, that we don't have to repent because we have not sinned, and that's the that's kind of the been the the arc of the just war tradition, at least as I've understood it. And there's a more moderating voice, uh, which I think is more reflective in the Eastern Church, the Byzantine Church, and then the Orthodox churches a little bit later, and they didn't seem as put off by the expectation that shit was going to go poorly in the real world and that we had to be prepared to uh, make certain, you know, adjustments, compromises to our, our ideologies in order to survive as a community that we call the nation or a nation. And there's varying degrees of that. But um, the, the best way I've heard the Orthodox position on violence stated was, you know, in terms of this proverbial question, if, if, there a robber who broke into your house and they had a gun and they were going to shoot you or shoot your family or rape them or I don't know, whatever, what would you do? Wouldn't you use a weapon then? And the the modern realists, the Nigel Bigger types would say, I'd shoot him in the, shoot him in the face because my country you know, protects the bearing of arms and I'm justified in killing someone because they t- stepped foot on my property. And there's some legal precedent th- to support that. On the other hand, the pacifist might say, well, I would never pick up a gun or I would never use violence even in that situation. Uh, and they may, you know, murder me and my wife and kids, but like we have to suffer for our, our beliefs. In between those two, this orthodox answer is something like, as I've heard it described, you know, I might shoot them, but then I would go and repent for the evil that I had done. Um, it strikes me as pragmatic, as uh I don't want to say realistic because that language has been co-opted, but I mentioned that in light of Esther um, because in the Bible there always seems to be this, there's a caveat with violence in uh, Joshua mostly and then in Judges as it kind of decreases in, I don't know, credibility or reliability. The violence that Israel did was not about political autonomy. It wasn't about protecting property or expanding your borders. It was about obeying God, learning to obey God. Joshua is the first book outside of the Torah where they've, you know, they've had this time in the desert. They've had their their sandbox time with God where they're supposed to learn all these things. And Joshua and the campaign in Canaan puts it to the test. 
And almost every time they win, it's because they've done nothing or they've done so poorly and and listened to God's word telling them to be still and let God fight for them. That's when they win, when they are humble but confident with the power that comes with being God's people. In Esther, they're being targeted by um, Haman and his uh, lieutenants or whatever, and Haman wants them out. And uh, Esther goes to the king, says, hey, there's no reason for this. He's just essentially racist. I want to clean, you know, ethnically cleanse us. And the king is like, that's kind of fucked up. Um, you can defend yourselves. Um, and in verse 11, the king allowed the Jews who were in every city to assemble and defend their lives, to destroy, kill, and annihilate any armed force of any people or province that might attack them with the Israelites, or the Hebrews, with their children and women, and to plunder their goods. So we, if they attack us, then there is a certain amount of license to kill and destroy and plunder. But we don't take the first action, or at least in this, in this context, right? We're so used to wars of convenience and preemptive strikes that it goes against our, you know, our, our conditioning in modern America to think, oh, yeah, yeah, actually... Um, what would it be like if someone struck us first and we didn't like retaliate uh, or that, you know, our violence was to be limited? And that's why I think, for example, the war in Afghanistan was more justifiable than the war in Iraq. Um, you know, we often want to lump them together and many veterans fought in both. Um, but the Iraq war is very clearly a war of convenience. There are no weapons of mass destruction. Uh, we stayed longer than we needed to. Um, they're suspiciously rich in oil. Um, but Afghanistan, it was a little bit more morally clear-cut, or it was more clear. Um, and so I, I, I mentioned this violence piece in Esther because if we want to be Christians, if we want to be followers of Jesus, then the Bible, our scripture, not just the New Testament, but the New Testament as well, um, and the New Testament, New Testament, I'll argue in other areas, is similar. Um, it takes a kind of pragmatic look at violence, that things are bad, and we don't take up the mantle of doing bad things to resolve the bad that we see. But if we hear God calling us to something, then we follow God. And in Jesus, we see God. Jesus says, turn the other cheek, etc., um, but he, the, 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 the path to a cruciform life doesn't always lead to martyrdom. There's a number of saints who um, served in the military and certainly did a certain amount of violence, but had a line beyond which they would not go. And that line was different for different saints. Maximilian of Tibessa would not even wear the uniform. Martin of Tours spent 25 years in, but just never saw combat. Um, instead, he was actually protecting Caesar's life until... The very end of his what would have been his full term, he refused to go into combat, into onto the battlefield, and then was kicked out and spent the rest of his life as a as a, a deacon and then a bishop. And so, to be honest with our own tradition, with our own scripture, we have to be more pragmatic in how we approach questions of violence and those who do violence. Um, it doesn't say that you know the Israelites were better than those who were attacking them. But it did, you know, under the banner of this of this uh, empire under King Ahasuerus, he was level-headed. He wasn't perfect, clearly. 
Um, but he wasn't about to condemn everybody to the fate of a few or the desires of a few because pacifism or realism um, ultimately can only really be true for a very, very few, if any. Um, so when we when we think about these texts, it's it's not easy. Um, it's complicated. It's it's maybe makes us think twice. It challenges our preconceived notions. Um, but those notions too often lead us then to make assumptions about people that are unhealthy. Um, and that's, uh, you know, a big part of why first formation I'm doing with for first formation, what I'm doing to give soldiers, veterans, dependents, civilian allies, the scriptural resources to look at the world around us and realize that we have every bit of place in the church and in the world as anybody else. And the Bible, um, which is the focus here in first formation, um, supports that view that it's, it's more pragmatic. It's a little bit more nuanced than, uh, you know, we might think at first glance. And so I hope you take these to heart and continue to think about what it means to be a Christian soldier, Christian veteran, in light of the tradition that we have inherited, not just in the Bible, but also theology and liturgy and, and everything else. Thank you for falling into First Formation, where Pew Pew HQ shares morning prayers for the humble, hardy folk caught in the crosshairs of God and country. If you like what you've heard, you can participate in one of the three following ways. First, you can support the podcast by clicking the link in the show notes. Or, if you serve military families, subscribe to First Forward, a paid subscription feed providing commentary on Sunday lectionary texts a week in advance. Use it for sermon prep or just because you support the troops. Second, you can become a co-host by recording a lectionary reading for a future episode. Instruction will be provided, and you don't have to be a grunt to collaborate with PewPewHQ in this or any way. Finally, you can also record and send prayer requests of a minute or less. Prayers can be included in an episode, read anonymously if you wish, or kept private for me to pray for off of air. So there you have it. Three ways to participate in first formation. I hope you'll continue to listen, even if I haven't convinced you to fall in. This has been Brother Logan Isaac, always faithful, always family. Semper Familia.